It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT, and uh, hi to all my uh, Raider fans out there. And go Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show. JT with you. Raider Nation Radio. Streaming on the Raiders mobile app. Some bad news today for the Baltimore Ravens organization. If you haven't heard, NFL legend Tony Saragusa has passed away at the age of 55. His former teammates are confirming TMZ has it. That means it's true. Tony Saragusa passes away. Goose. At the age of 55, there is no report on how he passed away. Saragusa, a six foot three, 340 defensive tackle, broke into the NFL with the Colts as an undrafted free agent in 1990, became a full-time starter in the 92 season. He signed with the Ravens in 1970, uh, 1997, went on to be a kid cog on that legendary 2000 team that won the Super Bowl. Raider fans will remember him for falling on Rich Gannon and knocking Gannon out of the AFC Championship game, which knocked the Raiders out of a Super Bowl. He played alongside Ray Lewis, Rod Woodson, uh, great players. Nicknamed Goose, he helped the Ravens' defense set the record for fewest points allowed in a regular season on his way to winning a title. 12 years in the league, 22 sacks, 564 combined tackles. Following his career, he gained national fame for his role as a sideline reporter and an analyst for Fox. And he was very good. He made people laugh during the game. Remember, Saragusa was the first guy to go behind the goalpost during the game. He rolled to both sidelines and was very good as a broadcaster. He also hosted several TV shows after retiring, including Man Caves. I liked that show a lot because I thought that was a really cool topic. And he would go out there and do that and, and show you all these great Man Caves, and he would help build them. So Tony Saragusa passing away, devastating news today. He's a good player. A really good player. Raider Nation, you have some history with him, obviously, for the Gannon hit. But I think today it would be smart to pay respects to Tony Saragusa, especially if you knew him. I knew him because I worked at Fox Sports Radio for 17 and a half years, and we'd have him on. We'd have him on the show every once in a while, and I'd see him at the Super Bowl or a Super Bowl party or somewhere out there, and it was always cordial and a good guy. So Tony Saragusa. Rest in peace, man. Just a tough time here for the Ravens and that organization. And I know Rod Woodson really well, who lives here. And I'm sure Rod is devastated by this news. And then also Jalen Ferguson passed away at the young age of 25 years old from the Ravens. We are profoundly saddened by the tragic passing of Jalen Ferguson. He was a kind, respectful young man with a big smile and infectious personality. So the Ravens organization today... We have a heavy heart because of the passing of a current young player and Tony Saragusa, who passed away at the age of 55. Toughest part about this job, without a doubt, toughest part about this job is when there's breaking news of someone passing away. And Saragusa was only 55 and Jalen Ferguson, 26, according to TMZ, cops not ruling out the possibility of an overdose. That's what the Baltimore Police Department is saying. They told TMZ officers responded to a resident about 11.25 p.m. Tuesday 
regarding a report of a questionable death. Police said when they arrived on the scene, they found Ferguson unresponsive while being treated by medics. He never regained consciousness, cops said, and was pronounced dead on the scene. Uh, cops did not know or respect, uh, suspect foul play at this time. They added there was no sign of trauma. So the Ravens are going to have to put out a bunch of statements, especially on ter- Tony Saragusa today. That is, that is tough to deal with. 702-365-9200. Kurt Heelan in a few minutes. Johnny Katz coming near the bottom of the hour. Want to play some sound? Roger Goodell today testified in front of Congress. He was on a Zoom. He wasn't in attendance, but it was kind of a circus, a little bit of a sideshow. And one of the congressmen who was there, part of his job because he's on the committee, I thought made a mockery of it. Byron Donalds, the congressman from Florida, here's what he had to say. Madam Chair, the U.S. Supreme Court case, U.S. versus Watkins, makes clear that Congress's investigative power must be related to and in the furtherance of a legitimate task of Congress. Especially in light of the, the testimony by Mr. Goodell, how does continuing this hearing actually relate to a legitimate task of Congress in the face of record high inflation, record high gas prices, a completely unsecured border, a fentanyl crisis that is killing more people between the ages of 18 and 45 than any other cause in the United States, a baby formula crisis, a tampon crisis? Madam Chair, the commissioner has just detailed in his own testimony that the, the, the Washington commanders, Redskins, whatever you choose to call them, have been held accountable. They've made necessary reforms to the organization. You got a chair here for Mr. Snyder who told the committee he was the not going to be here. The gentleman will suspend. Madam Chair, what is the purpose of this hearing? What is the purpose of this hearing? The gentleman will it suspend. This, has, this is not about a stated parliamentary inquiry that is the parliamentary inquiry madam chair what is the purpose of it you can bang the gavel all you want but i don't really care why are you there why the hell are you there as a congressman if you don't care well get him off that committee if he doesn't care he just used that to grandstand and he was one of the politicians and probably more than one who believes that congress shouldn't be getting involved with daniel snyder's business and i completely disagree with that uh, Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio wanted to go into a different direction with Roger Goodell about Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports. Listen to this. Recognize. Thank you, Madam Chair. Commissioner, uh, you believe in the First Amendment, don't you? I do. I mean, all parts of it, all, all, you know, all rights we have, your right to practice your faith, your, your right to petition the government, right to assemble, freedom of press, freedom of speech. You, you, you believe in all that. Yes, Congressman. Why do you ban Dave Portnoy from NFL games? Pardon me, I couldn't hear your question. Why do you ban Dave Portnoy from NFL games? He's a journalist. In fact, he's a sports journalist. Why is he banned? Uh, Congressman, I'm not familiar with that uh, issue. I'm happy to really? check with my staff, but I'm not aware of that. Yes. Well, I think, I think we're That's all correct. aware of that. We're all aware of that. I mean, he interviewed, interviewed the President of the United States interviewed President Trump in the White House. It seems to me if you can get into the White House, you should be able to get into a football game, particularly as a member of the press and, and a member of the sports press. You don't so know anything of, about that? I don't, sir. So a lot of this was a sideshow today. The big news coming out of this is the Oversight Committee claims that Daniel Snyder used shadow investigators to discredit and blame others. Aimed at discrediting accusers and pushing blame for the situation towards former team president Bruce Allen. Quote, the shadow investigation resulted in a hundred slideshow dossier with emails, text messages, telephone records, and social media posts from journalists, victims, and witnesses 
who had made credible public accusations of harassment against the commanders owned by Daniel Snyder. This committee today that talked to Roger Goodell contends that Daniel Snyder's shadow investigation resulted in private investigators being sent to the homes of team cheerleaders. The committee also claims that Snyder gathered thousands of emails aimed at proving that Bruce Allen, not Snyder, had created a toxic culture within the organization. Those emails included the documents eventually leaked to the media, sent and received by former Raiders coach John Gruden and NFL general counsel Jeff Pass. The committee also accuses Snyder of using the court system and pursuing evidence for a defamation case filed in India in order to harvest evidence aimed to assist the shadow investigation. So as I've been reporting on this show, and I'm not an NFL reporter, I'm a talk show host, I believe that Daniel Snyder is going to get voted out. The owners have to have a 75% vote. Three quarters of the owners have to vote him out. And here's a big one that resulted today. The House Oversight Committee will subpoena Daniel Snyder. So here we go. A subpoena to Daniel Snyder for next week. The NFL slow time isn't going to be slowing down, according to Mike Florio. During the hearing today, Carolyn Maloney, a congresswoman, announced that she will subpoena Daniel Snyder for a deposition next week. During the initial round of questions posed to Roger Goodell, he was pressed on whether Snyder will be held accountable for not voluntarily appearing before the committee. Here's what Goodell said, quote, I don't have any responsibility for whether he appears before Congress. Congress clearly has the power to mandate Snyder's appearance, and it apparently will. Wow. So when you get subpoenaed by Congress, you're going to have to testify in front of Congress. And is Snyder going to take the fifth? What is he going to say when he is pressured along the way? I don't exactly know, but this is getting big. It affects John Gruden, his resignation with the Raiders, which led to Rich Passaccia. Unfortunately, Coach Passaccia and the team won 10 games, and they made it to the postseason. So with all that involved today, today is a really big day. A big day as the NFL has got to be a little tight under the collar. Roger Goodell has to button up the suit, went in there today because he makes roughly $50 million a year representing the owners, and he had to go speak in regards to one owner, Daniel Snyder and the issue that he has caused with the league in a toxic workplace environment. As an owner of any team in sports, you don't want to be accused of sexual harassment. You don't want to be accused of skimming money and stealing money in regards to ticket revenue. Snyder's been accused of that. And you don't want to make people uncomfortable at work. You don't want to be a bully. And Daniel Snyder clearly is a bully. He doesn't have a stadium in place, and all of his fans want him out. So why would the NFL voters, voters, owners, excuse me, vote to keep them? And my theory is very simple, and I think it's accurate, that NFL owners don't want themselves voted out of ownership. So if this president happens with Daniel Snyder and he gets voted out by three-quarters of the owners, what happens the next time an owner is accused of sexual harassment or you know, financial issues or a stadium relocation or a couple of the owners get together and say, let's vote him out? That's not how you run a league. So they're all going to protect each other. But I think it's gotten to the point now where the league is so embarrassed with Daniel Snyder that they want to move in a different direction. 702-365-9200. Also, Vinny Bonsignor wrote a story today on Indomitian Sue's interest in the Raiders. The headline says the team most likely has no desire for the veteran linemen.
Sue is saying he'd like to play in Las Vegas. That puts the ball in the Raiders' court, and a potential pairing between Sue and the club always has seemed unlikely. It is not clear whether the Raiders don't feel Sue's a good fit or if he's asking too much and the price is too steep. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because Sue lives up to all the money he made. No one's ever accused Indomitian and Sue of being overrated, ever. No one said that he doesn't earn his money. According to Vinny Bonsignor, the Raiders have just over $20 million in cap space available, but cap space doesn't always line up with the spending cash in the budget. They have spent the NFL's 12th most cash on this upcoming roster. according to SportsRack, with only the Chargers spending more. So the Chargers have spent more than the Raiders in the division. Everybody wonders why there's a bleeping love fest with the Chargers every day. Sue has played the last four seasons on one-year deals, the last three in Tampa for at least $8 million. If he is adamant about staying in that range, it's difficult to see the Raiders meeting that price. Also, the Raiders are moving from a 4-3 defense alignment to a 3-4. Sue has played most of his career in a 4-3. He's coming off a season in which pro football focus gave him the worst grade of his career, a 49.4 out of 100. Also, he was credited with six sacks for the second straight season. So I'd like to hear from you if you want to get the Sue deal done because some team's going to pay him. Some team's going to pay him, and you better, not, you better hope it's not Kansas City. You better not hope this guy ends up in the AFC West with the Denver Broncos who have a need because they lost depth on the defensive line to go get Russell Wilson. And if it's too pricey for the Raiders, I respect Dave Ziegler. Vinny made a great point today on the morning show that I heard. He said, sometimes you got to stick with your plan. And Dave Ziegler's come in with a really big plan. He spent a lot of money on Devontae Adams, a lot of money on the extension of Renfro and Crosby and Carr. And they decided to get Chandler Jones, which wasn't cheap. So you can do that from time to time. But the core of Dave Ziegler will be drafting well and having multiple players compete for positions and for those players to add value to the team at a fair price. Notice I said a fair price. Overpaying for a player doesn't seem to be the Patriot way, which has now come west to Las Vegas. I don't think that Dave Ziegler is going to be a guy just throwing out buckets of cash to players, especially veterans on the back end of their career. I think that Dave Ziegler is going to try to get three or four young players to compete for a position and go out there and go out there and compete hard for that. So it's going to be fun to watch. You know, you don't have to get every free agent, but I think the Raiders' priority isn't Dominic and Sue. It's an offensive lineman. What do you think on that topic? Hit me up on Twitter at JT the Brick. When we come back, Johnny Katz. The entertainment reporter from the Review Journal. Man, I'm talking a lot today, Bobby. I broke my word count four minutes ago. There's a clock here on my wall. I've had 19,321 words. So I'll take a breather, slam a glass of water, and then come back and we'll talk to Katz and Kurt Heelan at the bottom of the hour. Hockey tonight. Really like to see Tampa Bay beat Colorado and tie that series up at two. Golden Knights have a new head coach. We spoke to him. Hopefully, VGK gets back in the playoffs next year.
definitely. Um, you know, I can't say enough about our, our players um, and what they've done. Um, you know, they've really, uh, th- like I said last week, you know, they, they're really responsible for the culture. You know, we try to set a standard of what we're looking for, but, you know, they're the ones that go out there and do it, you know, and they're here every day. They're here real early. Um, they're working their butt off and doing everything they can to help themselves improve and help the team, you know, uh, improve along the way. So, um, you know, it's basically been almost everybody except for a couple guys here and then that were dealing with some, you know, family situations and we've got a lot of babies this spring. So, uh, but no, it's been, it's been great. It's been a pleasure to coach them all and, and work with the guys that have been here, which has been the majority of them. And obviously for the mini camp, it's all of them. Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Silver and Black. JT, back with you. Brought to you by Resorts World. Proud partner of our show. Come join me for Monday Night Football at Doghouse Saloon. John Katsalamidis joins us. Johnny Katz, our entertainment reporter. We have him on every couple of weeks. And, man, this is an underrated week. Coming up here, there is a lot happening. I want to begin with the Elvis movie. Wife and I can't (laughs) wait for it. You just saw it. How good is this movie? Well, it's Baz Luhrmann. Uh, there you go. You know it's Baz, so he's going to go up. To, he's going to go big fly with this uh, JT. I think you. I think you guys will have a good uh, date night of it. You know, I do think that. Um, it's an interesting movie because it's big. I mean, I can just tell you, it is. It brings the whole the whole uh, Baz Luhrmann, uh, you know, skill set to it. It's very well filmed. It, it'll mm-hmm. get cinematography awards. It'll get film editing awards. The music, the way they handle the music in it, is expert. They've, they've kind of refashioned a lot of Elvis's music in the sound bed, which I was very impressed with. Um, what you're trying to do with this movie is um, really reestablish uh, and remind people, and maybe even educate people about what the big deal was about Elvis Presley in the first place. You know, a lot of people have no, you know, operating knowledge, no walking around knowledge of his career. So, in the first uh, performance segment. Uh, they really do that. The, the, uh, hayride segment when he comes out, Austin Butler plays Elvis mm-hmm. and his first performance scene really shows, uh, what Elvis was, what it must have been like to see Elvis Presley the first time for some of these people in the, in the deep South who had never seen basically a, a, a white kid performing black music. And, uh, it was, it was spellbinding in that moment it's it's somewhat erratic throughout the story of elvis elsewhere you know because i think elvis's story was just that way we have tom hanks playing colonel tom parker and he's got an accent that i can't really place you know (laughs) he's using an accent and you're constantly kind of going what is the where is this accent from so it's kind of unresolved about how we're supposed to treat the uh that character, the Colonel Tom character, was he, you know, was he responsible for Elvis? Did he prey upon Elvis? I think he did all these things. And then it's very poignant at the end, you know, the way that the, the movie ends and, and shows the, the result of, uh, of his career. Uh, but a unique American uh, icon, and they, they, they went for it. I, I'll tell you, that I, they definitely deserve credit for right. taking this on in a big, big way. Long movie, too hours and 40 minutes wow johnny katz is our guest i'm fascinated by elvis and what's really unique chris Connolly. they had a special last night on abc that i watched about it and priscilla presley and lisa marie who greenlit this and they did it from graceland and they had unbelievable access into the monkey room and aspects of the house that i haven't seen even when i went to graceland Mm -hmm. you had to stand behind Mm -hmm. the ropes and the elvis years in Las Vegas, and what happened before we saw the Westgate as it is now in the Hilton before that. How big was that? You talked to a lot of storytellers in town and a lot of yeah. people who were here during those years when 
What was it like when you had a ticket to go see Elvis play in Vegas? How tough of a ticket was that, and how great of a show? You know, I, I have talked to a lot of people about that. When on the event of his 70th birthday several, several years ago, I talked to all, most of the living people who were around Elvis in those days, members of the Memphis Mafia. We're talking Sonny West, uh, Sam Thompson, uh, Jerry Schilling, his friend, uh, Linda Thompson, his girlfriend for years. Um, and they said that the, the that the excitement generated by Elvis Presley and his especially his earliest shows at the International was unmatched in the city. The, the whole hotel was uh, was overrun by excitement. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he sold every ticket to every show for six hundred and thirty six straight shows. Wow! And um, that's that's the kind of performance we just don't see that anymore. I mean, he, he couldn't have done enough shows. Um, yeah, he was. Um, you know what the the movie? I wish the movie had um, delivered a cup in a couple of areas. I would like to have seen the Elvis character communicating and, and shown with contemporaries of his day, the Frank Sinatras and Sammy and Dean Martin and, and Wayne Newton. You know, and and have them be involved in some way in his Elvis years. They didn't do that in the movie, and I thought. That- Did we lose cats? I think we just lost them, Bobby. Someone maybe the. Maybe the phone ghost hit us. Haven't heard from the phone ghost in a while. Uh, he, I love this Elvis story. I want Johnny Katz wrote a great piece on this. We're going to talk to him about a couple other Vegas elements and what's happening here. And if you can go back in the hot tub time machine. Uh, so you were talking about you'd like to have seen more of the contemporaries there. I, I would have liked to have seen, and, and don't give the movie away, did they show him in a suite after these shows and the abuse of drugs and what it was like after these monster yeah. shows to go back to a suite and what was going on there? Yeah, they did not. Yeah, they didn't paper over that. There is there is uh, uh, that represented. And if you want to know if he's shown, you know, famously shooting at TVs, there's that in there. They, mm. they definitely did bring his uh, frailties uh, to the fore in this movie. Um, you know, they did it all. And, and this Butler, man, this Austin Butler, I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. he, he's got some new some of the moves that he makes with Elvis, just his mannerisms are so great. I mean, you know, the, the, like the 68 comeback special, he does that. He does jailhouse rock and it looks just like Elvis Presley. I mean, it's, it's, it's uncanny the amount of work this kid did. He looks kind of like Justin Bieber outside of his mm-hmm. character. Um, but he deserves, he, he's going to get, um, uh, awarded. I got to believe he's going to be uh, nominated for an Academy Award based on this. It's an epic performance is the only way you can wow. describe it. Johnny Katz joins us. So a lot of people who listen to me know I'm the only one in Vegas who have seen the band Rush 54 times. My wife walks away when I say that. You know, that, that was the band, and I've seen them my whole life. And it's not that much. If you add two or three a year and you go over 25 years, it adds up pretty quickly. And now Primus is here. Primus is at Virgin yep. Hotels. I'm going to this show to see the Rush tribute of farewell to kings this is called the tribute to kings this is getting rave mm-hmm. reviews and i love the fact that richard bosworth boz is bringing in acts like this for performances like this i just saw lyle lovett and chris isaacs there last weekend yeah. tell me about this show and the anticipation what am i going to see well anybody who knows rush and i'm with you jt i'm with you on rush you know that mm-hmm. i am a huge rush fan i love rush and um uh, Primus is is a, a disciple of Rush. You know, they were one of the last bands to open for Rush. You know, you know, later in their career, Rush didn't have an opening band, but Primus was one of them in the in the um, early and mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they've done then, Primus has decided they're going to take on a Rush album and play it end to end in the show. And they've been working on this for years, even before Neil Peart, the drummer for Rush, died. They they had this idea. 
So they come up with it and they decide to go with the Farewell of uh, Farewell to Kings uh, album because that was the first album that Les Claypool, the co-founder of Primus, owned. <laughs> first Rush album he had. He played end to end. And this album, if you go back and listen to it, it's just it is a tour de force, you know, a musical foray. So they decided to tour it, and they've been getting yeah rave reviews, and they play their own songs around it. And uh, it's it's a love letter to Rush, to the surviving members, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson, who have endorsed it. Um, and I did ask Les, I said, what do you think about going back in and doing another album? Because I had this whole list of albums. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> man, he goes, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's very challenging. He goes, let us get up uh, over Mount Everest on this tour, which closes here in Las Vegas, and figure that out. But I think I wouldn't be surprised for them to take on Hemispheres or Moving Pictures. You know, mm-hmm. twenty one twelve, one of those. But what a treat! What a yeah, treat! I can't yeah, wait. Right, Boz. Boz is gonna. Uh, he'll have a, a different kind of crowd at the hotel on Saturday. Cats joins us as we wrap it up. So a couple other topics. I'm embarrassed to say, but for the first time in my life, I went to the Italian American Club for dinner and the show. Nikki Scalera performed. What a singer mm-hmm. she is! Broadway actress and singer fantastic blew us away and i saw the show and then i ate the food and i went to the bar i cannot believe it was my first time here the italian american club had a cigar on the new patio outside and it was over and the dining experience and the service was great let's give them a plug because i'm going back and i'm going back and i'm going back yeah, you, you're another fairy. You've hit my hand, JT. I, I'm there a lot. It's a, the, the Italian American Club is always in the cool hang alert. Uh, they do a lot of shows. You mentioned Nikki Scalera. I mean, none better. She, that was her Shirley Bassey show, right? That you yeah, saw. it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's incredible, and she's I've known her for she's probably ten or fifteen years at least. She was <laughs> she's done a lot of work in Las Vegas, put it that way. Uh, great singer. And, uh, yeah, they do a lot in that back room, and they figured out at the Italian-American Club how to pair dinner and a show very effectively. They do the kind of buffet style beforehand, and you can eat, and then they bring the the um, act on stage. And it's it's an old-school Las Vegas place. Benny Spano, uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Gerard, you know, they operate the place. Angelo Cassaro, I was with them the other day. They gave away $50,000 in scholarships, by the way, through their scholarship program on Saturday. I was at that event with uh, Mayor Goodman. They do a lot of good stuff, and they are legit old-school Vegas. 1960 was founded, Frank Sinatra, a charter member. It's authentic all the way around. I can't Phenomenal. say enough about those guys. Yeah, it is. It's great. And there's a lot of those. You know, there's a lot of those places around town. Bootlegger, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. is another one I visit quite a bit. And, you know, we have a lot of old-school Las Vegas um, haunts, you know, and, and the IAC is, uh, is one of them. I, I, I can't say enough about those guys. Hey, last one, I saw you retweeted also. Mr. Foley, the owner of the Golden Knights, Foley Wines buys Napa's Silverado Vineyards. What a big deal. What a massive ranch there. Tell me about this deal for Mr. Foley, not only the Golden Knights business he's in and all of his other businesses, but he's a monster in the wine industry. This is a big local story, and we spent a lot of time up in Napa. Yeah, it's, it's Foley Family Wines. Yeah, and he's he's very uh, he's a very prominent person in that world. He's as prominent in, in that wine and wine vineyard culture as he is in the sports culture bill foley and uh yeah this is a major deal i think it was 250 million dollars that they spent on this vineyard and uh yeah we can expect more partnerships and more you're gonna i would expect see foley wines at at a lot of events we go to with him you know his partnerships and uh yeah he's just a he's a world-class entrepreneur but yeah that kind of came out of nowhere 
You know, mm. I didn't even know that was you know, going to be part of his <laughs> part of his ongoing empire here. So, yeah, he's got his hands in a lot. Yeah, of he's stuff. something. I saw, him, yeah, I, I saw him down at the, the Dollar Loan Center when they were doing their commercial down there. He's on the Zamboni promoting that that partnership. You know, yeah. And, so. and speaking of that, it was good to see at the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame what a job they did at the Dollar Loan Center. The way they set up the mm-hmm. floor of that and had all those tables in that class. That's always. I don't even call it underrated anymore. That's one of the top events in town if you're a sports fan. No kidding. And that was the first time I'd been to a JT. I've been remiss. You know, I had never been to it before. But I was friends with the, well, I know all of the inductees in one way or the other. I've met them. I've hung out with Sean Davis. I've known Larry Brown for years. Uh, DeMarco Murray I met years mm. ago, too. But Gondo and I knew each other really well back in the days when I covered um the UNLV, UNLV basketball program, Glenn Gondrasek. Yeah, he was on the broadcast team. And I'll tell you, we spent a lot. Of, we spent every day together for two and a half years almost on, on the beat somewhere or another. We traveled the country together. Uh, he was a playful guy. He was a great man. And he was a he was such a proud rebel. You know, he was so mm-hmm. proud of being a running rebel. And uh, and, and that uh, his his legacy at UNLV meant so much to him. And he was a he was just a great I would say a great, playful guy. I just loved him, man. You know, and it was great to see him and meet his. I'd never met his kids, and um, meet them, and it was uh, that was that made it worthwhile for me just seeing that happen. Yeah, well, great, my friend. Thanks for doing this. I'll see you Saturday night over at Virgin Hotels. Always appreciate your time. All right, brother. Take care. You got it. There he is, Johnny Katz. Johnny Katz Lamitas, and he loved the Elvis movie. So the Elvis movie, I believe, drops Friday, and he says that the star who played Elvis is going to get an Academy Award nomination, and it's big, and it's big Vegas. And you got to see that on the big screen. I went and saw Top Gun Maverick with my family on the big screen. It was incredible. Absolutely a great movie experience. One of the best action movies you could see. And I think the Elvis movie, long movie, as he said, but with the music, the soundtrack, and Tom Hanks uh, playing a signature role there. I can't wait for that. Gangster Raider, let's get you up here before our next guest. Thanks for holding. You're on Raider hey. Nation Radio. Go ahead. Hey, what's happening, JT? It's good to hear from you. Um, of course, I want Sue. You know what I'm saying? I think Sue will be a great addition. I just don't want to um, have to pay too much. Hopefully, I heard he been he grew up as a Raider fan up in Portland. He'll give us the hometown discount because he's already rich or whatever, and we ain't got no state income tax. Hopefully, you know, he'll mm-hmm. give us a little. He won't, you know, he won't charge us too much. You know, that's what I'm hoping. And my, my biggest concern, though, is the special teams coaches. Because, you know what I'm saying, that the, the, the best special teams unit was one of our strongest units last year. And Rich Bisacci was, you know, being the man on the team. I think going from him to going to these um, lackluster special team coaches that we got, I hope they don't um, come to the detriment of our special teams unit. And also I'm concerned about the backup quarterback. I, I think we need to bring in somebody that's, you know, a little bit more polished because I think we're going to be up by double digits in a lot of these games. And I think we should be able to pull Derek Carr and not have to worry about the backup quarterback giving up the lead. What do you think about that, JT? Yeah, well, first off, uh, thanks for the call. Tom McMahon and his staff, they're a special teams coordinator. I would knock him and say lackluster coach because we're going to get an opportunity to see what he can do. Rich Bisaccia was an elite special teams coordinator, became interim head coach of the Raiders. And I know for a fact Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels takes special teams super seriously because that was a strength of the Patriots. The Patriots have always been rock solid on special teams. So I'll let that play out there. Backup quarterback, they got a lot of depth there. Colin Kaepernick had a tryout. Stidham is going to be there. Mullins is going to be there. Backups don't play because Derek Carr takes every snap, but just in case, I think they'll be okay. 
Again, that's the strength of the Raiders is not going to be their backup quarterback. They're deep, deep in the running back room. Deep at wide receiver. I think really good on the defensive line on the edges. But the Raiders need help on the offensive line, and they got to tighten up that secondary. But I think special teams is going to be a strength because there's a lot of unique athletes on this team this year competing on defense and offense that are going to have to step up and make their name on special teams. Kurt Heelan, Basketball Insider, next. In terms of my extension, man, I, I don't really plan on going anywhere. So this is added motivation for our franchise to be at the top of the league uh, for the next few years. And you know, I'm just looking forward to the summer and just building with our guys here. That is Kyrie Irving, and I don't know what to believe with him anymore. What a distraction in regards to his COVID, uh, non-vaccination, all the games he lost, which buried his team in the win-loss and made it impossible for him to get out of the first round. And to get out of the playoffs, and Boston took him out. So when you look at everything that's happened here with Kyrie Irving, who would trust him going forward? Laker fans are freaking out about this because possibly he could end up in L.A. There is a possibility because of what I believe is his bad contract that could be moved for Russell Westbrook's bad contract. And that gives us an opportunity to talk to Kurt Heelan today, lead writer for NBC Sports at Basketball Talk is where you can find him. And Kirk, if Kyrie opts out, of his deal where could he really end up and could he continue his legacy and get on another championship team brooklyn i mean honestly i'm not sure where he goes besides brooklyn to chase a ring realistically i mean i know that the lakers were mentioned and the clippers were mentioned it is really complex he actually has to opt into his deal the clippers i've heard are look they like their team (laughs) they're not really looking to blow it up uh, it would ha- they would have to be able to do this for without giving up anything of value. The Lakers, it doesn't really come together for them very well. Like, it's really complex to put together a good Lakers trade. Um, the Knicks are the most likely. But I guess that becomes the question, JT. Because uh, to me, this stalls. If it were anybody but Kyrie, I'd be like, man, this is just an agent doing leverage. This is just, you know, he's not mm-hmm. getting the offer he wants from the Nets, which is probably true. And so he's threatening to leave in free agency because he's got other options. He could go to New York. They could strip way down, you know, and, and be able to offer him money, you know, close to what he's making. Mm-hmm. So it's you got Jr., you got Julius Randle, and you got, I mean, you got RJ, Julius Barrett, J- mm-hmm. Julius Randle, and Kyrie. How far is that getting you? Six seed, maybe at best. Like if he's chasing a ring. I still ultimately think he just ends up re-signing with the Nets. But, again, because it's Kyrie, I feel like I feel like there's just more on the table. I, it, we've discussed this before, man. Do you want to predict what Kyrie's thinking? No, and what's interesting about this to me is the Lakers side of it. Where there's a spark, it could turn out to be a fire. This, it's such lazy Laker radio, so lazy nationally. I heard everything from trade Anthony Davis, move him and bring Kyrie over and LeBron and all that. I don't know how they would do it. They're stuck with Russell Westbrook. So in every scenario, when I add up the numbers and I look at what Bradley Beal's worth and I look at what Russell Westbrook's worth, James Harden, who has the opportunity to sign and stay in Philadelphia, then we get to the numbers of Kyrie and the $37.1 million. 
there are a few big contracts of guys who are unhappy. I wouldn't call them underachievers. I'd call them head cases. Harden's now a head case. Anthony Davis is a head case. He could be one of the all-time greats. He's a bleeping head case because he's not dedicated to his craft. He's got terrible body language. He's always getting hurt. Kyrie's a mess. Even Kevin Durant one of the greatest players that I've ever seen in my lifetime. He doesn't seem to be engaged, having fun. He made a bad decision leaving Steph. So with these four or five guys, Kurt, that have anywhere from $37 million to $49 million in contracts that they could opt out in and opt in, it's remarkable, man. There's a lot of big names out there that can move here. There are. I'm not sure. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. At the end of the day, like how many of them are actually on the move? Like Beal is a great example. He even pushed back on the idea he was going to opt out, you know, on Twitter today. Everybody in the league expects him to basically opt out and re-sign. Like, nobody thinks he's leaving Washington, right? Now, that's this year. Take the big bag of money, and that contract, every agent will tell you, JT, that contract travels. Like, if you're not happy, get the big money now, force your way out in a couple years, that huge contract travels with you. I think that that's more, look, I think Beal's not going anywhere. I I don't think Zach Levine's going anywhere. Um, Kyrie is the wild card. I still, look, first off, the Lakers are not trading Anthony Davis. And by the way, if you think Anthony Davis is a head case, Laker fans, you're like, yeah, and he's injured, and he doesn't, he's a head case, and he's not there every night. Have you watched Kyrie Irving? Like, <laughs> this is not some sort of massive upgrade in commitment, uh, even around LeBron. So I, I'm not sure, like, you can, there are, like, Charlotte scenarios where the numbers work out really nice and Gordon Hayward moved and, and Terry Rozier go to, go to Brooklyn. But I don't know the, what's Brooklyn's motivation to help at that point, right? Like Kyrie can't really leave without them approving a sign and trade. If he opts in, right. They'll dare him. They'll dare him to, you know, I just, I'm not sure. Honestly, at the end of the day, I'm just not sure he has another good option. He may be frustrated with what's offered because I bet it's a shorter-term deal or it's, and or it's got incentives yeah. on the back. In that fourth year, man, we'll, we'll max you out, but you've got to play, I don't know, 60, 65 games, whatever the number is. Like, you know that kind of stuff is in there, and it's just frustrating him. Kurt Heelan is our guest at Basketball Talk as we wrap it up. So here's the most important thing I want to know from you. I think that the Nets are busting Kyrie's balls because Kyrie was a pain in the ass to the organization with his vaccination status. As Durant was vaccinated, everyone on that team was vaccinated and wanted to win. They weren't a bunch of guys on Charlotte or New Orleans or Portland, teams that had no chance of winning a championship. They were a championship favorite. And by him not following what everybody else in the league did, 98% of the league getting vaccinated, he alienated the fan base, alienated his teammates, alienated his organization. I don't think they want to max him out. I don't think they want him to opt in and then renegotiate and give him a max deal with bird rights and whatever he can get. I think they'd like him if he wants to opt out and leave. They'll try it all over again and get Durant someone else. Do you see it that way? Do you think they're encouraging him to opt out so they don't have to do something long-term? Or are they going to be this desperate, the Nets, because they got Durant and they got to give Durant a winner? They have to keep Kevin Durant happy is the key. Right. And I think Kyrie, he, look, Durant said after last season, he's closer to Kyrie now. So my mm-hmm. guess is that it's the years that's the issue and or maybe an incentive. But I think Kyrie expected, whether he wants four or five, 
I think he expected four or five at the max, fully guaranteed, and the Nets were like, no. Like, we're, no. No, you haven't earned that kind of trust and and whatever. So far. I mean, like, And I don't think that money is out for him. His value is lower around the league right now than I think he realizes. He's unquestionably, by the way, unquestionably an elite player on the floor. Like Nobody's questioning his handles. Nobody's questioning his ability to make plays and be a playmaker. It's the commitment. It, does it feel like, I guess the way to put this, JT, does it feel like he loves basketball? No, no not at all. And, it does, and there's a lot of players in the league that, you know, I watched the movie Hustle with Adam Sandler. It seemed like everyone in that movie loved basketball, but it was a movie. And I know a lot of NBA players love the game, and they ma- they're making so much money. But there are a couple of guys that just don't seem like they're having the fun the way they used to, led by Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, who I pointed out earlier. LeBron's having fun. LeBron's in shape. LeBron wants to kick ass. He's going for the all-time scoring record and wants more rings. Luka Doncic is happy, even though he's always complaining to the refs. Hey, Kurt, finally, let me ask you this. If we can go back in the hot tub time machine and Durant never left the Warriors and LeBron never left Kyrie and Kyrie never left LeBron, what would the league look like? Imagine LeBron and Kyrie getting better and better together. It could be in the Lakers, could have been staying in Cleveland, wherever, and Durant staying with Stephen Clay and what this league would look like. If Durant stayed with Stephen Clay, there would have been, look, there would have been still two down years, right? Mm-hmm. But the team that showed up this year, I mean, we went into this year like, man, I don't know, can the Warriors pull it back together? And obviously they did. But even going into the playoffs, we're like, are they healthy enough? Can they pull this together? We wouldn't have had that question, right? Like, it, it, they'd be back to being an absolute force of nature, and, and the rest of the league would be playing catch-up. And maybe Kyrie and LeBron would. I think I think Kyrie is oh, – I, for everything we're saying about him, I think he has matured since the first time he was with LeBron and, and was frustrated in that setting, and now he'd love to be back in that kind of setting. Except he's kind of got it. He could be that in Brooklyn, but, you know, here we are. I'm looking at, finally here before you go, a mock draft that I have in front of me, and Jabari Smith from Auburn won, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, number two to OKC. I think that'd be a great fit. Paolo Banchero possibly to the Rockets. And then Ivy out of Purdue going to Sacramento, and it'll never work. No one ever works there. But do they do a good enough job marketing the NBA draft? When Not the lottery, but the actual draft. It feels like it should be. I was just here for the NFL in Vegas. There was a million yeah. people here. There was a concert every night. It was like a Super Bowl party in Vegas. And the NBA, the NBA players make much more money than NFL players, and they don't seem to have the party or the experience of the NFL. Why is that? It's the timing, and it comes back to the 82-game long, the length of that mm-hmm. NBA schedule, right? The problem is, if you want to have any off-season at all, if you want any down month or two, which they do, and understandably, man, like, nobody can do it, then you, you're stuck with this situation where, I mean, I don't know a writer like myself, an NBA, who wasn't doing draft preps, on the on the cross country flights between San Francisco and and mm-hmm. and and Boston, like it is too close. The problem is just the timing. Like we're done celebrating the Warriors; they have their parade on Monday. Thursday's the draft. What the NFL does great is that gap, right? Yeah, there is that time it. in there, yeah, and and there's time, and they come down, and then you get to watch the combine, and you get all this stuff. You get 
time to really get excited about it. And the NBA just doesn't do that. It just bam, bam. And then, you know, we're in some, you and I are hanging out at summer league in early July. Like it just, and it's free agencies the same way. It just is right on top of each other. They'd be better off to space it out. I just, I'm not quite sure how they do it without what we always beg for, which is shortening the season. But, you know, yeah, that's a big topic too. Kurt Heelan joins us as always. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. See you in a few weeks. Appreciate you. Take care, buddy. Appreciate it, Kurt. Kurt Heelan, everybody. Follow him at Basketball Talk. Oklahoma just beat Texas A&M in the College World Series. Boomer Sooner, where my son goes to school. Ken in South Carolina. Thanks for waiting. Ken, you're up next. Go ahead. Hey, JT. Man, real quick, you got me stoked because I've been listening to you for so many years, and I know you're a big Rush fan. I just want to let you know you're in for an absolute treat on Saturday night. Um, if you, have you ever seen a Primus show at all? I've seen Primus open for us because I've seen him so many times back in the day, but I haven't seen this awesome. set, and I can't wait to see it because I'm missing. Yeah, I've been, to, I've been to three shows on this tour in the past year. It, they're spectacular. It doesn't get any better. I don't know if anybody could cover Rush like they do. Um, I'm really stoked to have a great night on Saturday, and I want to. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Monday. And one quick one, if you get a chance, I don't know if you've been here or not. Go mm-hmm. to Phoenix. The Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix, Arizona is unbelievable. Nice. I will. Appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. I got my other son who's going to be a sophomore at Arizona State University, man. God, am I writing checks. Out-of-state checks, man. You wonder why I'm on the radio most of the day and night. Out to Jared in Vegas. Jared, wrap it up. Appreciate it. Raider Nation, how are we doing today? You know what, JT? I was listening to what Gangsta Gangsta had to say, and I think you were all too d- dismissive on Mr. McMahon. First of all, he was um, abysmal in Denver, mm-hmm. ranking in the bottom third of the league. And in, in Green Bay, he followed that up by the exact same act. So, yeah, yeah. I'm concerned about our special teams. And not not the player, not one special teams player am I concerned with. I'm concerned about the guy that's leading him because, well, he's shown that he can't lead them. And you know what else is that I expected this special teams to evolve and reach the next level. Like, you know what we haven't seen in years is a punter that can routinely hit the coffin. Oh, stop. Get off, get off the radio. Get off the radio. We got the Pro Bowl punter. A Pro Bowl punter and Cole. And what should be a Pro Bowl kicker in Carlson and a bunch of guys who aren't going to start at wide receiver and defensive back and linebacker are going to be on special teams. The depth of the Raiders and the players that play special teams will be the difference. I'm fine if you criticize the coach and you don't think he's as good as Rich Passaccia. That's hard to do. And that's why you have a voice on the show whenever you want. We can agree to disagree. And I'm not going to evaluate the new special teams coach until we see training camp practice, the roster cutdowns, and how the team performs. Have a great day, everybody. I got a new podcast dropping in about an hour with Looney. You can find it at JT and Looney wherever you download your podcast. See you back here tomorrow.